Good evening, Barry. Happy New Year, dude. Like, we are officially now in the New Year. I know we've already passed our New Year episode, but we kind of cheated that one because we recorded it a few days prior. Uh, <laughs> but now we're actually immersed into the New Year, and I believe you're having some strong momentum with your fitness goals this year already. Chad, you could basically call me Michael Phelps. That's what you can call me from now on. I have been swimming my ass off over the last two weeks. I was saying offline that I've done 10 swims in the last oh. 14 days, which I'm super proud of. Insane. And anyone knows me knows how terrible my swimming is and how scared I've been of swimming for my whole life. Yep. So it's actually a huge personal accomplishment to get in the pool every single time. And today I swam 50 laps. Sure. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't <laughs> fast, but I got the job done, Chad, and I'm feeling really good about myself. <laughs> Dude, 50 laps is 50 laps. Who cares how slow or fast it was? Um, is this some like my octopus teacher inspiration to go in and <laughs> be one with the creepy crawly? <laughs> Chad, it might be a little bit to do with that because there is some Something about when you put that head underwater and the whole world yeah. feels like an alien landscape. Yeah. There's something special about that. But the true honest like, <laughs> fact of it is that I want to do the Iron Man, Chad. So it's Ooh. your inspiration, actually. The Iron Man is the long-term dream. Nice. And the swim is the most terrifying part of that for me. And so I'm trying to get over my fear. I'm trying to get more comfortable in the water to be able to swim those in that open water, which is going to be absolutely a crazy experience. Yeah. But for the moment, I'm sticking to the pool where I can hold on the edge every now and then and breathe for a bit. And there is isn't yep. 3,000 other people swimming with me. We'll get there eventually, though. You're pretty much there, Barry. Like, honestly, you've done <laughs> 10 sessions in 14 days, something crazy like that. I've never swam that much with no, like, <laughs> real rest in between there, Barry. Like, just going on and on. You're pretty much there. You honestly are pretty much there. You're doing the kind of distances you need to be uh, kind of pre-race day. I think you should just sign up for your first race. Oh, Chad, that's a terrifying step to make. I don't even have a bike. I've never cycled in my yeah. life. So that's another whole thing I need to get right first. So let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. 2021 has just started, but we'll see how things go. And hopefully I'll get to a stage where I'm feeling fit and strong again because we chatted about a lot last year. We got we yeah. both got a bit, a bit out of shape, Chad, and I'm trying yeah. to fix that in 2021. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to. Uh, not as much uh, success that you're having, but I have gone on a 10K run, which I haven't done in a long time. Good stuff. To slowly get that distance up um, i've also did a yoga session today a hit session uh yesterday signed up to uh, chris hemsworth's center uh, app again Ooh, uh, of which everyone listening there's a six-week trial so anyone who's keen to do that <laughs> you might as well sign up i mean it's free for six weeks uh there's like so much on offer there so yeah we are ha we have started very we're not quite as far along as you, um, but but yeah, I've just been enjoying the few days of leave before getting back into life as normal, uh, which I said to you, I'm, I'm a little bit sad about, is starting tomorrow. <laughs> oh, those holiday blues are the worst. When you've had like an amazing time off, you have all the time in the world to yourself to do whatever you want, and then reality starts to creep up on you. And that night before, like we're recording right now, is the <laughs> night before. It's a horrible feeling. I remember yep. it vividly, Chad. <laughs> oh, you are so right. Right. Well, talk about reality. Let's talk about reality. The week that was. Now we start off on a rather scary note here, Chad. And unfortunately, even though we've left 2020 behind us, we haven't left COVID-19 behind us. Yep. And it's one of those things where this, this pandemic continues to, to rage across the world. But this side of the pond, things are getting quite scary, Chad. And we've had a huge increase in cases over the last week or so. And that, and that necessitated another family meeting from Cyril to kind of try and give us some sort of insight as to what's happening and where we're going to go to as a country. So he, he organized a family meeting. We're all 
all sitting in front of our TVs and he made the, the announcement that I think a lot of people thought was coming yep. and that is another lockdown, right? So we were in kind of a level five type lockdown, a more normal type type life because our cases were relatively manageable. Yep. But throughout the Christmas period as people have been flocking to and from the coasts and people have been seeing friends and family and losing some of that discipline we chatted about right at the beginning of this pandemic, mm-hmm. Chad. Things have got a bit out of control. And so Cyril announced we're going to a level three lockdown almost instantaneously. So when he announced that it was happening, so no one had a chance to go and buy their booze, no one had a chance to go and find their friends and kind of go and isolate with friends or whatever the story is. It was instantaneous. And they announced some very strict lockdown rules I think as strict as he could do without hurting the economy. South okay. Africa's in this weird position where I think he would have wanted to go even a harder lockdown because you want to try and like kill this at the at the roots. But we just can't afford it, as we've chatted about numerous times in the past. Yep. And so as far as I understand, this level three lockdown means a couple of things. There's a curfew now again, Chad, from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., which is absolutely insane. <laughs> that means all restaurants have to close by 8 p.m. in order for their staff to be able to get home. So yep. restaurants are pretty much out of the way there. Um, New Year's Eve, of course, was a it was an 8, eight o'clock um, kind of party, <laughs> Chad. 8 o'clock, you have to go home. And so that's how it worked on New Year's Eve, which was a fascinating experience yep. for a lot of people. Um, the second thing is that alcohol is once again gone. You're not allowed to sell it at retail establishments and even at restaurants, of course, if you're ending at 8, 8, 8 p.m., how much damage can you really do up until then? Um, so the alcohol is another <laughs> discussion um and then all the beaches parks all of those sorts of things were closed as well and so i think we're going through a very tough time here in the country hospitals are filling up like like wildfire and unfortunately chad it looks like we're gonna be in this lockdown for a while oh barry i'm sorry man Uh, honestly i i've been hearing so much kind of anecdotal uh you know reflections of the situations here in south africa and for me certainly on this side the opposite end of the globe uh, for the first time it, it feels like it's actually real in south africa i mean it, it has been and there has been that, that first wave uh, but but certainly in the second one i've heard so many more kind of stories of people uh, within my bubble at least uh that have been affected by by covid and some some really really terrible fatalities too yeah, definitely. Um, we're well on track to pass our previous high and we're kind of getting to that stage very, very quickly. I've got a few friends in the medical profession who are saying that the beds are running out in the hospitals. And so it's it's a dire, dire circumstance at the moment. And unfortunately, the vaccines for us, Chad, are a couple of months away still. I know in the UK and the US, they're starting to deploy yeah. some of them. But in South Africa, we're still a couple of months away from those vaccines. And so I think we are in for a very tough little period. I don't think that we can take this lightly. But unfortunately, people are tired, right? They're tired of these restrictions. They're tired of these lockdowns and so the discipline is not quite there one of the things that Cyril did mention was that if you're not wearing a mask in public areas it's now a criminal offense and you can be fined and sent to jail so that was that was a big kind of statement from him and he was very emotional throughout the whole thing you could see this man is tired he is tired of having to kind of shove these things down South Africans throats trying to make people understand the gravity of the situation and it's hard for us to understand unless it happens to someone close to you. Yep. For some reason, if, 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 if no one in your circle has been affected, it's very easy to kind of downplay it. Or, yep. or like, what is all the fuss about? Why exactly. is everyone so worried? Yep. But if you've got a parent or a family member or a sister or whatever the story is that's been affected by this, either has died or has gone through like hectic health concerns, it's, it's terrifying. And that's when you realize the real gravity of this. And for me, Chad, I've also had a couple in my immediate circle that are starting to like be, be impacted by this on a very, very direct basis. Yep. And that changes everything. It really does. Yeah, it really does. And it really does make you kind of look back at some of the silly things that you've maybe done. Uh, what is a little week away on along the coast, uh, which may at 
you know, face value seem harmless, uh, really does increase this risk level ultimately of this thing spreading even further. Um, and so, like you say, just hearing people who I actually know and people whose names I know uh, as an example, um, it really does make it hit home quite a lot more. And so looking back on the way that I've spent my New Year's, uh, obviously in London, we've, we're also under a lockdown uh, a lot a lot harder uh, than the one that you're currently on at the moment and some talks of it being uh, you know escalated even further as our cases uh, skyrocket above the first peak uh, truly skyrocket in a really very uh, worrying way I kind of look back at the way that I've spent my 12 days of leave with with pride Barry uh, not having really left the house much having kept to every single uh, tiny little nuance of these regulations um, and it's the way that I think we should all uh, be living and the way that we should all kind of have pride in the actions that we've taken in these moments uh, where we're so close, we are so close to the end of this thing. Uh, let's not lose patience. It's one of the risks we chatted about when these vaccines were starting to be approved is this idea that it's it's right there. So so why not just go and party now? Because the vaccine is just around the corner, right? And it's, it's, that, it's that kind of complacency that is very dangerous, like you say. We have to be very strict with ourselves. We have to do the right thing for the for the, the good of the, the greater people. People. I mean, chatting about New Year's Eve, chat like the, the lockdown here in South Africa was a big deal because a lot mm. of people, yeah. they, they love that New Year's party to go and get wild, right? And we chatted about the alcohol in the past and I saw a fascinating photo coming out of Baragwanath Hospital, which is one of the biggest hospitals here in Gauteng. And in their trauma unit, for the first time in their history, Chad, they had zero patients on New no Year's ways. Eve. ways. And that is purely because alcohol was not yeah. allowed to be served and there was a curfew. And so watching that eerie photo and seeing that eerie photo of seeing what what a difference alcohol makes, for example, to social gatherings and to all the chaos in the trauma units really makes you wonder what is necessary to kind of shift the consciousness on this? What is necessary to make people take this seriously? And if the government's going to put these things in place, we have to kind of stick by them. Because the longer we ignore them, the more we are going to go against them. It just means we're in this for longer, right? We, we, we're hurting ourselves. Yep. It's almost like... Um, you, you're kind of tricking yourself when you copy someone's homework and you're like, oh, I'm doing really well. I'm doing like, oh, I'm going to get a good mark for this assignment. But you're just kicking your can down the road yeah. because eventually you're not going to have that person to copy next to you and it's going to hurt you longer term. And so we have to understand that and we have to be patient. And I know everyone's gone through like a hell of a lot in the last 12 months. But if you have the resources, if you're able to work from home, if you're if you're in a lucky position where you can kind of stay home as much as possible, please, please do that. Like yeah. there's lots of times for New Year's parties in the future. But we have to take this seriously. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, something that I said in, in one of my latest YouTube videos is that, like, no one is in this alone. I know we, we kind of feel very vulnerable and we, we feel like we're entitled to escape this because we've had such a tough year. And we're right. Like, we have had a hectic year that we are glad to have passed us. It has been tough. Uh, but that doesn't entitle you to do things you shouldn't be doing. Um, so ultimately, everyone's going through the same thing. Everyone is just as frustrated. Uh, let's just kind of buckle down for the last little bit of this thing. Um, and hopefully by kind of middle of this year, we'll be able to return to, to life as normal or life as uh, close to normal as is possible. 
Definitely. And a piece of that good news, Chad, is another vaccine that has now been approved, which yep. is very exciting and hopefully it's going to be a big deal going forward. It's that one we chatted about in the past, this Oxford University-AstraZeneca collaboration. This vaccine has now been proven as highly effective. It's done very, very well in its clinical trials. And now the UK have said, cool, we're going to give it the thumbs up. And so, Chad, is it something that is on the streets at the moment? Are people talking about it? What's going on that side of the pond? I don't know, Barry. I haven't been out on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Just just kidding, well, just the, kidding. The metaphorical streets, <laughs> the social media streets, Chad. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a big deal. I honestly think this is a huge deal. I so I got the push notification come through on my phone and, and straight away a massive sigh of relief um, because although the uh, Pfizer vaccine seemed like it was going to be the major unlocking of uh, this route to freedom for us, ultimately it's the storage concerns, it's the amounts uh, of that can be produced and uh, where else they're going and demanded in the world uh, that, that really does set up quite a big uh, constraint and kind of limitation. Whereas now that we have two and we have the Oxford one, uh, I read a little article the other day where they mentioned they could potentially produce 2 million doses a week, Barry. Uh, so sure. much higher volumes sure. than we, we've been talking about for the Pfizer vaccine. I mean, at the moment, as far as I know, uh, the UK has already put about 800,000 vaccines into people's arms uh, for the Pfizer vaccine. But now that you've got 2 million going per week, I think you can very, very quickly start to uh, get a handle on this thing. And uh, I really do think this is one of the little pieces of news we should really be celebrating. Yeah, definitely. It's really, really good news. We've always talked about the logistics of this, right, of how we're going to get these vaccines all around the world. And we need those mass volumes. It's, it's, it doesn't help us if we can only make small amounts of this vaccine at a time. And so those quarters, those sorts of numbers are very exciting. And yeah. hopefully that kind of scales across the rest of the world as quickly as possible. Um, but if we can get those into people's arms and kind of, uh, it, 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 I think it's still the two doses. So I still think you've got a gap between yep. the two injections as far as I understand. Yep. But like you say, the storage is much better and the mass production is much easier. And so this is always going to be a group effort. There's going to be probably six or seven vaccines by the end of all this. I mean, everyone's going to have different types of <laughs> bits and pieces. But as long as we get them to every single person across the globe, we can try and kill this nightmare as it stands and get on with the rest of our lives. Um, and so yep. I, for one, Chad, am begging and praying for these vaccines to get you as quickly as possible. Yeah. I'm excited for the UK and for the US. The guys are going to get, get these things as quickly as they can. Um, and we'll have to see how many people take it. That's, um, that's the next question, right? Is, yeah, yeah, is who's yeah. actually going to take these things? I, I really hope people can get a, get over themselves and do what's good for the for the herd and it was good for the country that they live in um and yeah we'll have to wait and see yeah exactly and put all of the kind of crazy conspiracy theories behind them um start to actually question the merit of all of these weird stories that are circulating the web um but yeah i agree with you yeah. i want this nightmare to be done um and barry i think we've reached the the kind of end talking point of covid for this week's episode are you ready to get <laughs> lost away in some other stuff we found interesting and work on ourselves soft development let's just do some actual uh, constructive things in, with our time please chad put us out of our misery <laughs> let's go stuff i found interesting one of Barry's absolute fascinations is the world of Bitcoin and the world of cryptocurrency. And if you haven't been privileged enough to tune into one of our episodes where we talk about it, well, you are up for a little treat because it's on our list today. Barry, I've been watching the news lately and the kind of exponential gains of this thing have not stopped yet. 
Chad, it has been an insane <laughs> week for Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I think yesterday, hit 500,000 rand a Bitcoin. It hit wow. $34,000 for the first time in its history. In 2020, it went up 300% in value, and it's gained probably 30% of value in 2021 already. Wow. It is having another one of its spikes. I want to warn everybody, though, that there will be a correction, so don't go crazy. Yep. But it is one of those things where it continues to roll forward, forward, forward. And all the haters, all the critics, they have not been able to bring this down, and it's now 12 years old and it's never Phew. been stronger Chad and so it, it is the kind of the crowning jewel of the cryptocurrency space but what we're going to chat about today is actually uh, another part of the cryptocurrency yeah. world because yeah. unfortunately for every Bitcoin there are a thousand other coins that are pure scams. Is there a Barry coin just yet? <laughs> there should be Chad there should be. Watch watch out for Barry coin it's coming in 2021 um, but it's one of those things where because cryptocurrency is so difficult to understand for a lot of people, it's very complicated. It, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel tangible because it's all just code in a database. You can't hold it in your fingers. It's very strange for a lot of people. But people love the hype and they've seen the prices yeah. go skyrocketing. They've seen 19-year-olds become multi-millionaires because they bought some Bitcoin back in 2013. And so there's a huge amount of interest in cryptocurrency. And unfortunately, the opportunistic criminals in this world have taken full advantage of that. And we chatted a little bit about in the past, Chad, but I listened to a fascinating podcast series recently called The Missing Crypto Queen, which was okay. about this, this this coin called OneCoin. I think it still exists, actually. It's still, it's still running around, still scamming people out of their money. Okay. Basically, the idea was that this was a full-on pyramid scheme. So the normal pyramid schemes we chatted about in the past, the, the Herbalifes and the Crowd Ones and the Amways and all those good guys. <laughs> but instead of selling products, they're selling cryptocurrency. And this idea that you can buy this one coin, they call it, and become rich in no time, Chad, by selling it to your friends and kind of getting people all around the world to do it. Now, this podcast series follows the journey of this coin from its inception and it kind of follows the way that they faked everything, how they faked a blockchain, which doesn't actually exist, right? It actually is just a database. How they faked the price. They were kind of making the price go up and up and up and up, making people think that their money was going up and up and up. And that's the danger of paper money, right? Where it's just a number on an app. You look like you can look like you're very rich without having the actual value behind it. And the true reality of this is that this coin didn't really exist. It couldn't be used to buy anything. You could never try transfer it back into fiat currency. Um, but unfortunately, they managed to do an incredible job at marketing this thing and grew it to billions and billions and billions of dollars in market cap. This thing spread like wildfire, went all across the world. They, the, the one episode, they focused on Uganda, just Uganda, one country in Africa, and looked at how many thousands and thousands of people had kind of sold their stuff to go and put money into this coin thinking it was going to make them rich. So it's, it's a really, really sad kind of story, but it's an important kind of warning for cryptocurrency, especially in right now where yeah. Bitcoin is going crazy, you have to be careful about this sort of thing because it's so easy to fake these things. And the way that this, this, this founder who faked her credibility faked a PhD, faked all of these things, faked a Forbes magazine cover. Like the, the scam is intensely complicated. These guys are very smart and they know exactly how to play with human psychology. And that's why I find it, I found it so interesting, but also heartbreaking at the same time. Wow, that does sound like a fascinating series. Um, I'm really keen, especially because it's, you know, it's actual reality. It's something that's actually happened. Um, it does sound absolutely heartbreaking. We do feel very strongly about these pyramid schemes. Um, and if you haven't heard Barry talk about it, oh man, he can, 
he can have a little talk about a pyramid scheme trust me um but but yeah <laughs> I, I i think it, it does sound like a fascinating story um i do wonder as a result of the series barry have there been any uh, kind of has any progress been made on any leads have they actually convicted these people do they know who they are so that's kind of the, the, the crux of this thing. The reason it's called the missing crypto queen is because this founder disappeared four years ago okay. and has never been seen since. And so there's a lot of conspiracy theories about that they think she's from Bulgaria and they think she's connected to the mafia there in Eastern Europe. And so there's a lot of drama that goes behind the scenes as to where this money went. They haven't made any convictions. What's so difficult about these pyramid schemes, Chad, is that the regulation hasn't caught up to be yeah. able to deal with these things, yeah. right? And so pyramid schemes are on this weird gray area where if they sell a product, they're considered legal but kind of uncomfortable, whereas if they don't sell a product, they're not considered legal. But with cryptocurrencies specifically, it's very hard to regulate because no one knows what's going on. It's so new. And so there haven't been any convictions really. There's been, I think there's been one arrest for money laundering that was very blatant. But for the actual scheme itself, those billions of dollars are gone and that founder is gone. And who knows where she is right now? It's it's a it's a, it's insane to think about. She could be on a beach in Greece. Who 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 would know? Wow, yeah? wow, crazy! Uh, it just really does uh, kind of remind us to be so careful when looking into any new business venture, opportunity, uh, investment. Uh, even even Bitcoin, uh, like Barry said, there's some correction that's, that's coming Bitcoin. at some point in time. <laughs> um, I personally know of a lot of people who have lost a lot of money uh, back in the first uh, kind of wave of excitement uh, a couple of years ago, Barry, mm. three, four years ago. So yeah, certainly do yep. think this through very carefully. Don't put anything in there that you are not prepared to lose. Don't do anything irresponsible. Let's just say that. Um, Barry, Let's talk about the Christmas period. We are talking about uh, stuff we found interesting this past week. Um, we're talking about Christmas songs. And I must be honest, every year when they roll around, I enjoy them for the first day. And then I get very sick of them because we've got <laughs> the same ones that just are on repeat the yeah. whole time. Um, but today we're talking yeah. about the legendary Wham. We're talking George Michael and Andrew Ridgely. Um, I was in a studio actually with Andrew Ridgely, uh, basically talking about a book that he released. Uh, that was on the Graham Norton oh, wow. show, which we we spoke about, Barry. Uh, but this crazy story of uh, their song, Last Christmas, or Last Christmas, however you want to think <laughs> of it, um, has gone to number one for the very first time, 36 years after its initial release. I can't believe this. There's no other moments like the Christmas period for songs to just come out of nowhere and kind of pop out of the soil and come back from, from the dead, basically. And it's such a cool story because imagine how much effort you put in all those years ago and yeah. you kind of think, okay, that's done. That, that song has had its day. We're going to move forward. But somehow the phoenix rises once again and Christmas pulls it out of the soil and makes it number one. It's such a cool story. Yeah, it really is such a cool story. And I guess it just talks to this whole thing that we've been talking about, Barry, where uh, a lot of people get stuck with... I mean, we talk about the Queen's Gambit. I saw a little stat this week about the writer and having these doors slammed closed time after time after again, the story about chess, who's going to find that interesting? Um, but it's this kind of level of persistence where uh, if you believe what you're creating, uh, eventually... It might see the light of day, and when it does, oh man, it will be sweet. 
<laughs> I'm very excited to pull an idea from one of our good mates now, Chad, Mr. Ali Abdal, who yes. was chatting about it the other day. <laughs> he was saying that when you have a huge body of work and you're producing lots of content and lots of stuff all the time, you increase your surface area, say yep. online or in the music industry or whatever the story is, for something to pop, right? And so the more stuff you have out there, the better chance you have of something popping off and something going really well. And this is an example of that. They've, they've made thousands of songs, I'm sure, in their basement. Yep. They've released hundreds of them like publicly. And the more you have, the better chance you have of these things popping. And Christmas is a very saturated market. Everybody has a Christmas album, right? And so to have a song that pops out of there is an incredible achievement. And yep. uh, it's really, really cool. And it's a reminder to all of us that just keep making stuff, putting it out there. And if it doesn't happen, nev you never know. 37 years later, maybe your YouTube video goes viral, <laughs> Chad. Who knows? Yeah, crazier things have happened. Crazier things have happened indeed. Um, now, we're talking about something you found interesting this week. And I'm fascinated to hear about it because uh, in about December last year, not last year, my gosh, the year before that, uh, this thing has been <laughs> around for a long time. My gosh, it just reminds me of how quickly this last year went by. Um, a load of people around me were talking about this particular documentary on Netflix. Um, and I just never plucked up the courage to actually sit down and watch it. It does take courage to watch. It really does. It's, it's not an easy documentary to watch. And we're chatting about a documentary on Netflix called Don't Fuck With Cats. And <laughs> hey, it's about this Canadian... It's your second <laughs> swear word on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is changing me, Chad. It's changing me from the inside out. Um, oh, jeez, I'm, I'm sure people will enjoy that. But anyway, this documentary <laughs> is about a serial killer. So I shouldn't be this excited to talk about it. But it's so fascinating. For some reason, serial killers and kind of true crime have always been fascinating for humans. Like mm. we often... We we wonder what goes on in those brains and what what turns those people into these monsters that can really do horrible things to other people. And this documentary follows a very interesting one in Canada. So this Canada, this Canadian guy who's this young guy, very unassuming, this failed actor who's been trying to make it as an actor for years and doesn't really work out. And he ends up putting up these videos onto YouTube looking for attention. The very first one is he murders two cats, and that's kind what? of where the title comes from. And it's it's really really difficult to watch. They don't show you the whole video because it's just it's too gruesome and too harrowing. But for anyone who really is into animals, I don't think this is the right thing for you. Like rather don't watch this thing. But I'm not going to get into any of the details as to the murders and whatnot because I think it'll ruin the show for people. So if you want to go and watch that, please go and do it. It's fascinating stuff. What I wanted to chat about, Chad, was that kind of the underlying pattern we see across all of these serial killers is that they want the attention yeah. often the reason they do the things they do and the reason they almost want the chase they want the police to know about them they want the public notoriety they want you to know their name because that's kind of what they're craving at the end of the day it's this weird form of narcissism it's this weird form of i want to be famous but there's no other avenues available to me and therefore i'm going to go this this venue because if i do something like this and post it online instant famous because okay. everyone will know my name because it's such a horrible thing to do so that's kind of what the documentary looks at is that when we when these guys want this attention and then the media goes crazy we go crazy we watch documentaries about it we listen to podcasts about it we give them the attention that they want yep. because we are fascinated by these stories and the question is are we complicit in what they do because we give them this attention? We've chatted about terrorism in the past and how in a, in a terrorist situation, they do it because they want the shock value. They want the terror. They want the, the notoriety. And if we were to not talk about it, not put it on the front page of the newspaper to kind of ignore it, you wonder if they'd lose their steam. You wonder if they would get that satisfaction of knowing that they are now a household name. And so this documentary looks at that in a very interesting way. And it's got this fascinating moment right at the end, Chad. So the whole documentary goes 
It's like a three-part series. You get to right to the end. And right at the end, one of the interviewers, one of the people who are looking for these guys, turns to the camera, breaks the fourth wall, and says to you, the viewer, have you been complicit in this by watching this documentary? Wow. And then it cuts to black. Wow. And that moment was such a powerful moment to remind us all that, yes, I sat and enjoyed that documentary. I found it so interesting. But that attention is the exact thing that made that person do those horrible things. I just think it's so interesting. Fascinating. That really is fascinating. To, to bring you on this roller coaster ride and then right at the end uh, actually you know, oh. give you this kind of twist. And like I, the word you use there, very powerful, uh, when talking about the fourth wall, for those of you who are not kind of into theater or have never heard of what the fourth wall is. It's that moment when uh, the, the characters on stage are kind of take a break away from, from talking to each other or, or looking out into the distance and actually directly address you. And obviously the, the equivalent uh, being in this documentary where typically, you know, you're watching people talk and yes, you know, having conversations, but they're not talking to you. Um, and so this breaking of the fourth wall when used correctly is so powerful. Oh, it hits you in the chest, Chad. One of the best examples that I think a lot of people might have seen is if you've seen the series House of Cards, when Frank Underwood talks to the camera, that is the perfect example of breaking that fourth wall. And when they do it unexpectedly, when it's a surprise, like when you, no one knew it was coming, and then it hits you in the chest and you kind of reflect on yourself yep. and it makes it very immersive. It feels like all of a sudden you're right there with them and you're not just kind of watching it on a stage, enjoying it, eating your popcorn at home. All of a sudden, this person is turning towards you and asking you, do you feel good about yourself if you watch this documentary knowing that this is giving this person the attention they so desperately wanted and it turns the whole thing on its head and, and it really proves the point the documentary was trying to make yep. that so many of these serial killers so many of these horrible things are committed by people humans who have become broken they've been beaten down by the world they've been abused in their past they've got mental issues they've got all these things that are impacting their psychology and all they want is to belong to something all they want is to be known all they want of someone to see them or someone to love them so many of these people are just isolated lonely like people who've been through horrible horrible things and they just want that attention because it it affirms our humanity and so when we think about trying to fight these and trying to trying to think about how do we avoid these serial killers being able to do what they do we have to think more carefully about not just locking them away and saying cool they're evil let's just put them away but what are the societal reasons that that made that person become who they became like how can we fix those societal problems and often it's it's poverty it's yeah. sexual abuse it's it's um, alcoholism, it's, it's bad parenting, it's all these things that, that lead to someone becoming that monster. Because you aren't born a monster. Yep. You become a yep. monster because of what you've gone through in your life. And that's what this documentary does so well and kind of bring it out. He said, this guy was a normal dude. He was a normal Canadian guy. He was like, if you looked at him as a child, or as a teenager, you wouldn't have said anything. He's just a normal mm -hmm. guy. And what, he, what he's capable of doing just shows how dark humanity can become if you go down that route. And so, yeah, Chad, I just found it, I can get goosebumps talking about it now again. I think it's it's well worth a watch. If you can stomach it, it's well worth a watch because it just gives us a reminder as to what, what these guys are actually about. You know. Yeah, interesting. I'm definitely going to throw that onto my list now. I mean, I am an animal lover, absolutely. But I but I think that 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 overriding message uh, might warrant some of the uh, displeasure um, for for kind of a more meaningful message. Uh, and and I think I'll sit down and actually finally watch it. Um, like you say, Barry, it's a fascinating debate that I don't think we, we have often enough, is this balance between 
public interest and the public having access to information. Uh, and then on the other hand, actually providing a platform, providing all of this attention, um, a fascinating debate. Uh, what is the right answer? I mean, I think there's so many different uh, possible threads here. Uh, ultimately, being on the side of, of the, the public, you know, I always want to know what's happening. I want to know what's happening out in the streets. I want to know if it's a safe place for me to walk onto. So, you know, if I know that the government is kind of concealing a whole lot of information that might, yes, further someone's agenda, but might also uh, kind of hold back information that I feel I should have access to, um, I would I would feel hard done by. I, th- I think that's the right the right way to look at it, Chad. Is that this is this is a much more complicated discussion than just black and white. There's so many shades of gray in this, and it's one of those things where. Every case is different and every person is different. So what r- might be a right way to go in one situation might be the wrong way to go in another yeah. situation. And I think that when these things happen, we are we are terrorized by them. We are terrified. Like if you, if you were living in that Canadian city at that sure. time, it must have been a horrible sure. experience to know that that person is out on the loose. Um, but it's one of those things where I think, I think the conversation needs to happen 10 years before he commits that murder, yeah. we have to be doing everything we can to help our citizens, to help the downtrodden, to get people to feel accepted, mm. to feel loved. Yeah. Like yeah. One, one of the things that this guy dealt with was that he was gay. He was a homosexual right. and he felt like he didn't belong in society. He didn't feel that acceptance that he wanted yep. to feel. And that's just one example of the things he dealt with in his life to get him to that point. And so I think we don't solve this by catching the serial killer after he's done three murders, right? We solve this 10 years before that yep. by by giving those people a reason to live, by giving them a reason to be compassionate, a reason to feel like they're accepted in this world. And that's the social progress I think we have to work towards. Yeah. It's it's once once that person's become the monster, there's not much you can say to him because he almost wants to get caught. When he finally got caught in Germany and was arrested, he almost smiled as he got into the police car. It okay. was such a creepy, creepy moment because I think he wanted to get caught because now his name is synonymous with that case and it's like he's known as, a, as a, this big serial killer. I think they call him the Canadian Butcher. I think that's the, the nickname he got given. And so it's one of those things where we have to sort that out way before he gets to that point. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think, Barry, if any generation can do it, it's this one. It's the generation we're in right now uh, where we are looking at social issues. We're looking at mental health a whole lot more than it ever has been uh, in the past. We're also looking at uh, accepting people for who they are. So uh, I think every single one of us has a big part to play in this. Uh, We might not think so, but I think we do. Uh, Every single moment that you spend being terrible to another person can actually uh, create the the small little snowball that that could actually uh, manifest in this type of way. Exactly. You have to treat everyone with compassion and with respect because you don't know what people are dealing with. If you saw that guy on the street and you chatted to him, you would not know anything about his inner circle and his inner mind. And so we we have to realize that. No matter who you're talking to, whether it's the waiter, the security guard, the car guard, the president of the United States, it doesn't matter what the status is, it doesn't matter how happy they seem, it doesn't matter what they seem to be, treat them with respect, show them actual human connection, and that'll go a long, long way. Yeah, absolutely, Barry. I completely agree. Now, we are going to be skipping a segment, a segment that we've actually pushed back. And we're going to talk about this very quickly, Barry. We pushed it back for two weeks, three weeks. Uh, A few little (laughs) stories that we found interesting at some point in time, uh, but they've just not made the cut. And what we're going to do is we're going to just let them go. (laughs) <laughs> it's always weird, Chas. Sometimes you read a story and it's fascinating at the time. We put it onto the notes and then we come back to it a couple of days later and I read through it and I'm like, oh, it's actually, 
it's not it's not that interesting. And so we're not going to put you through that. We're going to scrap yep. that whole segment and move on to something that I think is really interesting. And that is the world of minimalism, Chad. Develop and grow. The world of minimalism, a world that I didn't really know a whole lot about, to be honest. Um, it still is a concept that has a few little vague elements to me. I don't think uh, one minimalist is exactly the same as another minimalist. Uh, there's there's principles that you can apply in different ways and fashions. Um, and yeah, I mean, ultimately, how long is a piece of, of string, right? But we today are talking <laughs> about uh, the Matt Diavella documentary. Uh, and this is the second one. So the first one, I think, is called Minimalism. And the second one is called The Minimalists. Less is now. Um, and ultimately, I have been intrigued to watch this because I'm a massive fan of Matt Diavella. If you don't know of him, he is the YouTube authority on self-development, right? Um, and basically, it's it's a documentary that he has directed. He doesn't feature in it. I thought he did. Uh, strangely, weirdly enough, having watched his YouTube videos. Um, but no, it's not. Um, and Barry, I believe you have watched the first one and has have been following uh, these particular two guys as well. Yeah, so the minimalists themselves are these two guys, right? And one is called Joshua Fields Milburn, I believe, and one is Ryan Nicodemus. These two best friends that have gone through this crazy journey from a life of plenty, a life of extravagance, a life of spending lots and lots of money on stuff they didn't actually want. And they've revolutionized everything about the way they live to this more minimalist type of lifestyle. And so the documentary goes into all of their life story. And I think the second one does as well, Chad. Yeah. But I've been following them for a couple years now. I've really loved their stuff. I've listened to their podcasts i've read all of their blogs i'm a full believer in their message and that's why i'm quite excited to hear about this documentary and what you thought chad yeah let's discuss it barry so i just watched it just before hitting record on this podcast so it's top of mind uh and obviously jotted a few little things which i think might make uh, some interesting discussion points but for anyone who doesn't know what minimalism is or, or you know what the, what the concept is i think the overarching concept here is intentional living looking at every single thing that you have and deciding whether it fits into uh, your your aim for life if it gives you any value ultimately are you buying stuff for the sake of buying stuff are you buying stuff to try and make yourself happy uh, are you are you doing this because big companies are telling you you need these things or have you decided internally that uh, this thing that you are going to buy and are going to keep in your home um, and also going to keep in blocks of storage which people have these crazy kind of warehouses <laughs> of uh, storage which they pay per square meter for years on end uh, to never actually visit the stuff so all of the stuff that you have uh, do you have it for a reason or an intention um, and anyway basically this updated documentary is obviously looking at how society has changed um, and ultimately one of the commentators starts this documentary off by saying the way that society is at the moment this culture of consumerism and buying more and just more things quicker uh, we are going to have to, at some point in time, change. And ultimately, that change is either going to happen through design, i.e. us thinking about our patterns and actually acting upon them, or by disaster. That is that the, the planet kind of reaches its its end point. Uh, there's landfills that have no more space for us to pile stuff up onto, etc., uh, etc. Et so I thought as a kind of opening statement, that was quite an interesting idea to to start off this documentary. It's the key thing that drew me to these guys in the first place was because it's the first 
person that I ever read or ever like found out about that was really talking about this exact thing of how so much of our lives we spend on autopilot. We spend on we just follow society's patterns. We buy things because it makes us look cool to yep. our friends or because our friends bought them, right? Or we, we, we want a bigger house, we want a bigger car, we want all this stuff because we think it's gonna win us respect, we think it's gonna win us love, belonging, all those things. And all of these patterns we do without even thinking about it. We don't actually think about Hold on a minute. Does anyone actually care about the car I drive? Because the truth is, the answer is no. Yep. But if we, we don't think about that, we kind of just go in that same pattern we've always gone on. And so what they've really tried to do is, is be super intentional, like you say, and think carefully about every single purchase. Every single thing you bring into your home, bring into your life, does it actually add value to you? Does it actually make you better? Does it make you happier? Does it bring you some utility? Does it is it does it add something to your life? Yep. And the scary thing that I think a lot of us realize when we start to go down this route, Chad, is that we look around our houses and we look around our rooms and we realize, oh wow, <laughs> there is a lot of stuff there yep. that I've either I've never touched or I haven't touched in years or I've never used it really. And it's kind of scary to realize that. But once you do, it opens up this whole new portal to realize that life is not about the material things that you own. Yep. It's, it's really not. It's about so much more than that. And if we can rid ourselves of that kind of consumeristic type landscape and kind of thinking – you can feel much freer. You can feel much more like yourself and you can save a lot of money, Chad. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're completely right. Uh, after the first documentary, that's exactly what I did. I kind of had a little look around. Uh, luckily, I, th I think I'm still in a, in a reasonable level. I mean, I think we all have some level of uh, denial in this uh, and we, <laughs> we have a you know small level of, of things that we could probably get rid of that we, we just are keeping for the sake of. But what really came through quite strongly in the second one, Barry, is looking at our behaviors, looking at our purchasing behaviors. And it's not just about what we currently have, but it's about how we spend our time. And a lot of us, me included, uh, sometimes when I'm bored or have nothing to do, will open up Amazon and I'll literally look for things to buy. Uh, because ultimately, we are looking for this thing that can give us a little bit of happiness for a little moment in time. Uh, and that's exactly what comes through from, from Josh and Ryan's story is chasing this uh, six-figure salary, as they call it in the in the US, chasing all of this, which which gives you the means to, to buy all of the stuff. Um, but ultimately, what you're not realizing is you're spending a whole lot more time at work, spending all this time that you could be spending on things that you find meaningful. We're talking relationships. We're talking about all of those kinds of things, community. Um, and instead, what you do is you give yourself a, an ability to buy stuff that's not actually going to make yourself happy. Um, and so just looking at this and looking at uh, what affects all of these kind of patterns, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, one of the stats where they, where they talk about uh, digital advertising spend. And the stat is that nearly 70% of digital ad spending today goes through three companies, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. And this is not a big surprise to me. I knew this. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it, it really makes me think about uh, Amazon and some of these push notifications that come through. And it really, really pisses me off. We've already sworn in this episode, so I can mark this one uh, <laughs> as an explicit episode. And I will say it pisses off. Uh, and, and that's fine. Um, but that is a push notification that I get from Amazon fairly often, Barry. And they say to me, Chad, we thought you might like a new camera. Chad, 
we thought you might like a new set of headphones. And the the blatant audacity, and I know I'm using strong language here, but I feel like that is so <laughs> audacious to send me a message like that. Who are you to tell me what I might like? But it just is so normal these days, and it's something that we've just become consumed by. The scary thing, Chad, is that it works. They sell products yep. because of those push notifications. And it's one of those things where they play on our human psychology. What, what, what I love about this message is that it, goes, it gets much more profound than just the stuff. Yep. So the stuff is kind of the entry point into this discussion. But once you start to look into it and think about your own purchasing behavior and think about your own life, you realize that so much of our, our, our money is being spent on emotional things, yep. on trying to fix a hole in ourselves or trying to make ourselves feel good or trying to win ourselves respect or love. Like retail therapy is a cliche for a reason. Yep. Like that people, a lot of people turn to it when they're dealing with difficult emotion. And places, places like Amazon, places like Facebook understand how to tweak those psychology. Yep. We chatted about the social, social dilemma and how there are teams of people whose only job is to make those push notifications as addictive as possible and make them as effective as possible. And so they will sell us this image of, oh no, you're not as popular as you would like, or you would look so much cooler in that pair of shoes, mm. or you would re the sound quality in these new headphones is so insane, the music's going to sound 100 times better than your headphones you bought a year ago. And this psychology is being used against us all the time, millions and millions and millions of times every single month. And so if we aren't able to recognize that, and we aren't able to look at that push notification and, and see it for what it is, just a way to make money, yep. That push notification doesn't care about us. It doesn't It doesn't care about Chad's life or Barry's life. All it cares about is forcing you to try and buy another product from them. The moment you can break that illusion, you almost get out of the matrix yep. and you realize yep. how true. many of your decisions were just not your decisions. They were being forced upon you by the society. And that's what minimalism I think is so cool is because it's this idea that you can take back control of your life and really focus your attention, your time, and your money on the things that really matter to you. Yep. Not the things that sort of matter, not the things that, oh, that'd be nice, oh, that'd be nice, but focusing all of that, all of those resources on things that really bring you joy. And often it is it is things like relationships, it's seeing friends, yeah. it's seeing yeah. family, it's your partner, it's, it's the stuff that money can't buy. Yeah. But unfortunately, buying something is so much easier than trying to put effort into a relationship, for example. 100%, 100%, couldn't have said that better. And uh, I mean, this is a concept I haven't really thought about, Barry, and that is is this advertising, which they call in this documentary, deficit advertising. I've never heard of this concept and I've never thought about it. And it's this idea that you are not enough. So whatever good I'm trying to sell you is going to make you feel better. It's going to make you enough, right? Um, and it's and it's a very, very kind of hidden message in, in adverts. Uh, it's not one that they don't come out there and say, hey, you're not enough. You need our product. Uh, but it's it's a hidden kind of behind the scenes message um, that, you know, if you get this, you will be better. You'll be able to do this better. You'll be able to do this better. And I don't know if it's just me, Barry, but have you ever bought something uh, with this idea of, just being able to walk on water once you get this thing, being able to be unstoppable, like your whole world will change. And then what happens is you get it and the brain normalizes it. And all of a sudden, what was the ceiling becomes the floor. And ultimately, you just have lost a whole lot of money. Uh, you're not feeling happy anyway. And it's this constant kind of hamster race wheel on, on trying to find happiness. 
it, it happens all the time, Chad, and I've gone through it multiple times during my life. It's this concept of buyer's remorse yep. where, like you say, the novelty wears off so quickly. <laughs> it's crazy how quickly it wears off. That initial feeling of that initial dopamine hit of, oh, this thing is so cool. You do the unboxing experience. <laughs> you take the plastic off. You do that whole thing. Within a day, within a week, within a couple of weeks, that thing is just another piece of junk lying on your table. Yep. And that's the scary thing about these, 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 these marketing campaigns, like you say, is that they are so good at creating that energy, that environment, that atmosphere to make you feel like I'm going to become a, like a million dollars because of this. The idea I always have in my head and the kind of the stereotypical example is, you remember those Axe adverts, Chad? Yes. Where they have that nerdy guy with the, with the glasses and you see he's like not very well dressed, not very fashionable, but down on his luck. <laughs> But he gets this can of Axe deodorant and he sprays it and all of a sudden he is Ladies swamped man. by these absolute babes. <laughs> and it's that example of, of, of – and all that ad is saying is that, listen, this product is going to make you attractive to women. And so you're at the moment, you're sitting there, this nerdy guy, you're sitting at home, you're wondering why am I alone, why can't I find a girlfriend – this axe thing oh there we go <laughs> and so obviously it's 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 a little bit tongue-in-cheek obviously and i don't think people take it sure. like literally sure. but it's an example a, a very very vivid example in my mind of how advertising works and if you can recognize how advertising works it's the first step towards being able to make yourself immune to it make yourself numb to it and you're never going to get it right all the time yeah. we're all going to buy things we regret yeah. but the more you can think carefully about decisions especially big decisions which are going to cost you a lot of money or a lot of time a lot of efforts the more you can think about those from your own point of view and not from the point of view of the society or of the advertiser the better life you're going to have and it's such an important thing for so many people yeah i do definitely think we can become numb to this uh with some training and experience uh but certainly what we need to do to to get to there barry is managing our attention uh and ultimately happened and I thought was fascinating and certainly worthwhile mentioning on the podcast is I was watching this documentary. I had it uh, in front of me uh, as I'm sitting here right here, had my full focus and attention on it. And strangely, across the train tracks, some spo a spotlight went on, a spotlight, a random spotlight went on. And straight away, my head flinched to the side and, you know, looked at the spotlight and I, I kept looking at the spotlight. Um, and it just was like a bit of a weird experiment, really, uh, talking about essentially what notifications have become and how they get a pull on our attention and ultimately how these adverts and how this deficit advertising actually gets us to, to enact on it. And that is uh, because it does win our attention, uh, which, which I think is, is fascinating. Now, another thing I wanted to discuss, Barry, is this idea of how we deem what is enough. So back in the old days, we used to essentially look at our surrounding group of people, right? And I mean, I wouldn't think that would extend to more than, let's say, 100 people. We're talking about our, our school and our classmates, our family, uh, you know, the, the people who live on our street, all of that kind of stuff. But today, we are contending with a whole different kettle of fish, Barry. We are dealing with TV and social media in a way we never have before. And so instead of just looking at uh, our next-door neighbor, looking at our mate in, in our classroom, we're looking at Kim Kardashian, we're looking at, uh, you know, Jennifer Aniston. Uh, so, and it's this concept, which I also haven't really thought about, and that is vertical expansion of our reference group. Um, which I find absolutely fascinating. I really love this idea, Chad. And I, I came across a fantastic quote the other day, or actually a while ago now, from a writer I really admire that talks to this and really brings it vividly in my memory. I desperately want to write something about this. But here's the quote. It's a bit long, but bear with me here. 
By merging all updates from all the accounts you followed into a single continuous surface and having that serve as the default screen, Facebook news feeds simultaneously increased the efficiency of distribution of new posts and put all such posts against each other in what was effectively a single giant attention arena, complete with live updating scoreboards on each post. It, it was as if the panopticon inverted itself overnight, as if a giant spotlight turned on, and suddenly all of us were performing on Facebook for approval. But then we realized we were all in the same auditorium, on one large, connected, infinite stage, singing karaoke to the same <laughs> audience at the same time. It is difficult to overstate what a momentous sea change it was for hundreds of millions and eventually billions of humans who had grown up competing for status in small tribes mm. to suddenly be dropped into a talent show competing against every person they have ever met. How's that for a quote? Barry, you went looking for that and I'm really sorry because you actually sent it to me. Uh, you had shared that quote to me and I, I, oh, found, I? It, I found it fascinating when you mentioned it for the first time. But for some reason, I didn't link the dots now. Um, but you're so right. It's just such a profound uh, moment and change in uh, just the way that we, we live our lives. And you're completely right. I mean, how many of my friends and family actually even see any of the posts that I make anymore? Um, because like you say, it's not just your friends and family anymore either. It's every single connection you've had. Uh, you might have met someone at a party and uh, their face pops up on your Facebook and it says people you might know and you're like, yeah, 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 add these, <laughs> add this friend. Um, but what you end up doing is, is exponentially growing your circle um, to this level, like you say, where you're competing with every single person you've ever met. Yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And I think one of the tenets of minimalism is trying to get away from that, trying to not think of yourself as in this giant race where you're comparing your life to everybody else and just running your own race. Figure out yourself. Try and be self-aware enough. Do the internal work necessary yep. to figure out what makes Barry happy, what makes Chad happy, yep. and then just do that. Don't worry about all your friends and all your family and what everyone else is doing. Like, Try and focus on what makes you happy and only focus on that and you'll have a much more fulfilling life than trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to jump in the same rat races everyone else is in. Yeah. And that's what minimalism is all about. It's about choosing intentionally the life you want to live and not just going along with what society wants you to want. Absolutely. And I strongly recommend that you watch it if you haven't uh, kind of heard about this idea of minimalism before. Uh, definitely go and check it out. Like I said, it's a 50-minute uh, documentary on Netflix. If you've already got the subscription, it's available wherever you are in the world. Uh, so give it a watch and uh, let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of it. Has it affected you at all? Uh, do these ideas uh, ring true? Um, and will you be making any changes on the back of this? Now, Barry, you came across another quote this week that is just a very useful reminder for all of us as we go about our day-to-day -day lives. It's one of those quotes, Chad, I don't know if you ever have these moments where it feels like it's directed directly at yep. you. And this one hit me straight in the chest. It really get, did get to me because I'm a big self-improvement person. I love reading all these stories, the 10 top tips, the <laughs> 100 things you should be doing in, to be 20, in 2021, your morning routine, there must be six hours long with three hours of meditation, <laughs> all of that stuff, right? I love that stuff. Yep. And I'm a huge addict for that kind of media because I want to become better. But this quote was just a nice reminder for all of us and it's a nice way to close this episode off. And I'm just going to read it verbatim basically it says if you listen to successful people talk about their methods remember that all the people who used the same methods and failed did not make videos about it 
And that's from a guy called Connor Barnes. And it's such a good reminder about the survivorship bias. You can't just look at your hero and copy the seven steps and just assume everything's going to yep. turn out the way that it did for that person. Everybody's circumstance is so different. The world is so different. And a lot of the times we, we think we're going to find this magic bullet online, this perfect 10-step process to become famous or to become rich or to figure out YouTube or whatever our goals mm. are. And it's just not as easy as that. You don't hear about the people who follow those steps and work worked their butt off and did everything they could but didn't have the luck to turn out the way or wasn't in the right position or didn't have the right skills or all of these different factors. And so don't be so hard on yourself, Barry. That's what I want to tell <laughs> myself. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's not about finding this, the perfect solution, not about finding the perfect steps to make something happen. It's about doing the very best with what you have, following your gut instinct, being inspired by these people for sure, yeah, yeah. but don't don't forget the fact that for every Elon Musk, there are ten thousand other people who had the same dreams, who want to do the same thing, mm. but wasn't able to make it happen. So you can't just copy some formula, Chad. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, never kind of one size fits all, is it? And and that's kind of the one thing I like about this minimalism uh, story is, like I said, it, it all depends on the particular person and how far you want to take it. Uh, but the thing that you do have to do is do do some internal work like you mentioned um, which I think is certainly the most important because if we don't know ourselves how on earth are we going to expect other people to give us tips to improve uh, certain things where we actually don't know where we're lacking we don't know where those gaps actually are well Barry that takes us to the end of yet another absolutely jam-packed episode I love this one uh, like always one of my favorites, Chad. I really enjoyed this. And we nearly lost the video. So if you're seeing the video right now, it's all worked out and all good for the best. But for a moment, I had uh, my whole heart dropped because I really loved this episode. And so we hope you did as well. If you listened and watched right to the end, we really appreciate you. And Chad, thank you again, dude. This was awesome. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for us today. We'll see you next week.